0: Philippians tonight, so let's turn there. Uh, Philippians, we're getting close to the end. We got tonight and then there's one other, uh, one other session before we finish out here. But uh, we are in Philippians chapter 4 verses 14 through 18. Uh, Fruit that abounds to your account is what I've titled the, the little study here. So let's go ahead and look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, again, I thank you for the privilege to assemble. Thank you for these who have come out to study your word. Uh, Lord, how precious your word is. Uh, we feed on it. It strengthens us. It helps us to grow and mature. It helps us to be discerning. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, all these things might be true in our hearts and lives uh, this evening as we study together. Thank you for the Iwana ministry, youth group ministry, all the workers, all the labor that goes into these ministries. pray that they'd be blessed of you tonight, especially the, the ministry of the word. Keep everybody safe and pray for uh, just a fruitful evening now uh, for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, um, note on the. I put. My wife said maybe I could use some new batteries in this thing. It was getting a little dim. I didn't know. Did anybody else notice that? I put some new. It does seem to be a little brighter, my my pointer here. But anyway, theme uh, joy, rejoice in the Lord. We worked our way down to this section, rejoicing in Christ, our sufficiency. And as we have done so, we note throughout the book there's this eternal perspective uh, from the uh, uh, Apostle Paul. It starts in uh, Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, we come to uh, chapter uh, 2 and then on to 3. We have noted at the end of chapter 3 how we are looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to transform our body. And in light of all of this, uh, this eternal perspective, <clears throat> he says to uh, stand fast, therefore, in the Lord at the end of verse uh, 1 in chapter 4 there. And then I think the rest of the chapter kind of builds on that. Am I right in your way, Marianne? I'll move over here. There's nobody over here, so I've got a wide section here. Uh, stand fast in the Lord. And then he gives all these kind of rapid-fire uh, instructions. Uh, related to biblical unity. Rejoicing the Lord always. There's our key verse right there, by the way. four, four. Rejoice rejoicing the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then uh, disposition of gentleness. And what's the idea of gentleness? Do you remember? Uh, for the Lord is at hand. How do you want to be living when the Lord comes? Gentle. What's another word that's descriptive there? Yeah, there's a lot. It's kind of a, a multi nuanced word, graciousness, graciousness is kind of a a key idea, Uh, you know, disposition of gentleness, graciousness, everything by prayer, uh, nothing by anxiety, everything by prayer, and then a lifestyle of disciplined thinking, I think on these things, life uh, following Paul's example, uh, as you have seen uh, in his life, and then a life of contentment that we looked at last week, all of these things kind of relate to stand fast in the Lord. And tonight, fruitful sharing. Uh, This is what the the emphasis that comes out here. Okay. Um, Well, this builds on uh, what we are studying tonight. Builds on the statement of uh, contentment and sufficiency that is found in Christ. The strength that is found in Christ. And uh, why don't we have somebody read verse uh, 14 to kick us off tonight. Somebody want to read that, verse 14? Anita? Okay, that was short and sweet, wasn't it? Mine says, nevertheless, uh, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Yours says trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, nevertheless, uh, in other words, what he is saying is that uh, he does appreciate their uh, supporting him. Uh, He's just come off saying, hey, I don't really need your support. I've learned in whatever state I am in this to be content. They might interpret that like, well, Paul doesn't really care whether we support him or not. You know, he's saying, no, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He wants to affirm, hey, this has been a good thing that you have been supporting me. And so uh, he does appreciate it. Although he is content, either way, what if they didn't support him? He says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. So if the support doesn't come through, I'm content. If it does, uh, I'm content. Uh, either way. And so he kind of transitions now, though, from emphasizing, okay, Divine sufficiency, God's sufficient for whatever I'm going through, to to also emphasizing, but I do appreciate the human aspect, (laughs) the human support that has been provided. He does appreciate that. He does appreciate the human means. And God does provide for us, but He uses human beings in the process. And uh, we see that emphasis here tonight. You have done well. In other words, it's commendable what you have done, it's good. Uh, that you have shared in my distress. Uh, shared is the Greek word koinonia. Uh, you, you, those of you been around a little bit, koinonia, what's that Our, our Greek word for? Fellowship. fellowship. That's right, fellowship. In fact, we used to have our, our ladies group call themselves koinonia. Of course, no, the, none of the newcomers had any idea what we were talking about, but we did. And we had sweet fellowship around it. Anyway, just teasing. Uh, it's the idea of fellowship, uh, koinonia, the Greek word, and uh, it's the idea of partnership, uh, to share in common, uh, to share together. And he says, so, so you have uh, had fellowship, you have shared with me in my distress. The idea is trouble, affliction, tribulation. Uh, it's been a tough, tough road for him. What's the context of Paul right at this point? He's in, he's in prison. Now, the wonderful thing about being in a Roman prison is that the government took good care of you, right? No, they didn't. You still had to take care of your... You still had to provide your own food. You still had to... In this case, under house arrest, he had to provide his own rent money. So, uh, okay, you're going to prison, but don't expect the government to take care of you. You better have some friends or you're going to starve to death right there. So it was not an easy situation. However, Paul was not an ascetic saying, you know, well, this is really good for me to kind of starve here. Uh, no, he is happy. He says, uh, you have done well in that you shared uh, with me in my distress. He he definitely appreciated the provision that has come from them as a church. All right, uh, any thoughts there? We'll take one at a time. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> I'm so funny, aren't I? My kids are all gone. I am all these wasted dad jokes. You're the only ones I have to use them on now. All right. Uh, Somebody want to do verse 15? Yeah, John. Okay. So he's kind of reviewing now some history here. And he says, you Philippians know also. So they knew it, and he's reviewing it. He knows it, that in the beginning of the gospel. uh, And so he's going back to when the gospel first came to them, which was about 10 years earlier, and we have the record of it in Acts chapter 16. And so uh, this relates to his uh, second missionary journey when the gospel first came to them, what he calls uh, the beginning of the gospel. He's not talking about the beginning of the gospel when it first started to go out in the church age, but when it first reached them. That's really what he's talking about, when the gospel first came uh, to them. So he's thinking about people, and he's thinking about the gospel in relationship to them as a people, uh, the Philippian church. By the way, uh, if you flip back to chapter 1, verse 5, he kind of said the same thing there, where he says, uh, <clears throat> he's praying, in every prayer of mine, verse 4, make a request for you. But then he says, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So uh, we see them being in partnership with Paul from the very beginning of their salvation, uh, from, from when they first received the gospel. And then he says, uh, you know that uh, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, again, uh, Macedonia was kind of like a, a bigger than a county, uh, like a province or a, a state uh, You want to say something, Albert? I'm not sure how to process that, Albert, because Macedonia was a whole region. It wasn't a like a city; it was like a province, like a state. Uh, A Roman, yeah, yeah. Uh. (laughs) Well, unless, you know, I could be overlooking something like maybe there was a city named Macedonia, but I've never read that. I mean, uh, so, yes? (laughs) (laughs) We have people that live in Macedonia. That's right. That's right. We're close there, right? That is good. Yeah, that's right. That's it. (laughs) Anyway, Macedonia was a region. And in this region, uh, you had uh, the city of Philippi, but you also had the city of Thessalonica. You also had any number of other cities. So it was a region. Okay. So, yeah. So he's talking about when he left this region of Macedonia in which was included the city of Philippi. Right? Right? So he's talking about when he left there, uh, and we can read about this uh, in relationship to his second missionary journey, again, Acts 16 and 17, and it was about the years of 49 to 52, it was about three years he was on this second missionary journey, but he says, when he left this region of Macedonia, he says, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now that's kind of interesting. Uh, no other church is supporting the Apostle Paul. That's what he's saying here. You know, he's on his second missionary journey. No other church is supporting him on on his second missionary journey. Three year three year outing. No other church. Uh, what churches might we expect to be supporting him? The who? Yeah, none of those churches. Uh, none of the churches of of Galatia. Uh, what did you say? Antioch was his sending church, right? I mean, where are they? You hope the sending church will continue to support you. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, maybe they had no means to really get supplies that far or kind of lost track what's going on with Paul out here in, in the, all the movement here. We don't know what, all the reasons why. We don't want to get down on anybody. But it is unique to this church that he says to them, no other church... Was supporting me. No other church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So there's a real emphasis that this was his only supporting church at this time on his second missionary journey. What's kind of interesting about that is that how were the churches of Macedonia? Uh, were they wealthy churches, according to what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? Desperately poor churches. They were very poor churches, and uh, Paul talks about this in in how how out of their their great poverty, yet yet they gave. And so uh, that's kind of interesting. The context here would seem to be that this was not a wealthy context in Macedonia generally as far as the churches, and yet they were the church that was supporting him. And notice how he describes this, uh, concerning giving and receiving, but you only. the giving and receiving part is kind of the, the language of, of uh, accounting or bookkeeping, also the language of stewardship. And when he says uh, giving and receiving, um, giving we kind of understand, right? They're giving to support the Apostle Paul. How about receiving? What were they receiving? I mean, he says both in reference to them, giving and receiving. Uh, what were they Receiving. That's a thought. I mean, they had to get it from somewhere if they're giving it, right? What else might we think about? I think so. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive, uh, right? So you do you do in a sense receive something when you're giving. You're receiving a blessing, right? It's a blessing to give. I do think Paul is thinking as we go on in our text here tonight. He's thinking beyond this life again. He's thinking about an eternal perspective. And he's thinking, as you are giving, you're going to be receiving uh, from the Lord. You're you're laying up your treasures in heaven. So I I think that's ultimately what he has in mind when he's talking about receiving there, uh, as we will see in verse 17. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay. Very good. Let's have somebody read verse uh, 16. A little short verse. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, Thessalonica. Okay, very good. So uh, he was not at Thessalonica very long. How long was he there? Maybe a month. Maybe you could stretch it out a couple months or so, but he was not at Thessalonica very long. So in that short time, they had sent gifts a couple of times to him where he was at Thessalonica, which is another city in the area, in the region of Macedonia. I should have brought a map and put that up for you here. So anyway, so we know we're not talking about the little town 20 miles away. Anyway, uh, even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So here is the pattern that we see in the Apostle Paul's life. His pattern was not to take support from the people he was currently ministering to, lest they think he was on the scene for personal gain. He makes that point very clear in 1 Thessalonians. After he moved on to other places, if the churches he had started wanted to support him, that was a great blessing, but Paul never pressured people to support him. Now, lest they think he is fishing for more support, he quickly explains where he is coming from. And so that's, that's what he's doing here. He's, uh, he's uh, explaining uh, his heart, his motives, and where he's coming from. All right, uh, verse 17, we'll get to the heart of it here. Uh, yes? Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Okay, very good. So here's his real motivation. He says, not that, not that I seek the gift. Uh, he is not sharing what he is saying so that, so that hopefully he'll pump, you know, prime the pump where they'll give a little more. Say, hey, you have done well, do better. (laughs) No, that's not where he's coming from. Uh, He's not trying to get more money, more gift out of them. But here's where his real motivation is, he says. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So he is seeking fruit that goes to their heavenly account. That's what he's interested in. Because, you see, as they were investing in his gospel ministry... Paul sees this them as laying up their treasures in heaven, and that's what he's really interested in. It's not that he say, "Hey, I want the stuff." It's not that I can personally receive more. That's not where he was coming from. That was not his motivation here. He's excited about them having fruit that abounds to their account. Uh, you see, uh, every one of you has an account opened in heaven if you're a believer, right? Uh, you know. Maybe you move into the city, you go down to the local bank, you open up an account, right? And what do you do then? You start putting money into it. Hopefully, you have money to put into the account, right? It's it's there for your account, it's in your account. This is the idea here, when he talks about account. Uh, It's like an account that you have, and you are investing in it. As you support the gospel ministry... It's fruit that is abounding to your account. You're laying up treasure in the bank of heaven, as it were. And so that's the idea here. And again, uh, this is why uh, Paul was interested in them giving. Uh, this is the main thing that he's thinking about. Uh, he's not thinking about a selfish perspective. He's thinking about their ultimate good on judgment day. And so again, this is the idea of an eternal uh, perspective. And uh, the idea that supporting the gospel ministry is really uh, putting uh, treasure in the bank of heaven. Uh, Let's see here. I think this is involved in the, the spirit of giving and receiving that I mentioned in verse 15. He was receiving material things which kept him going in the spiritual ministry, but they would receive eternal rewards for their part. And in this way, they would share together. It worked the other way too. As the Philippians went on, for the Lord, Paul would reap dividends from them as seen in 2.16. Remember what he said back there in 2.16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. So he sees them kind of as uh, an investment. And if they didn't go anywhere, then he wasn't going to get anything out of it either. But if they continue keeping on, this would be good not only for them on judgment day, he would also reap dividends Uh, from building into them. Uh, So it's kind of compounding, as it were. Again, uh, eternal perspective seen there in uh, chapter 2, verse 16. Again, uh, the emphasis all the way through here is on this partnership, this fellowship that he has with the Philippian church. And as we think about rewards, I, I sometimes think people think about rewards in terms of being a lone ranger Christian. That's really not the emphasis of the scriptures. I really think it's a, it's a team effort, and we're working this thing together. Each one receives their own reward according to their own labor, but it's really in the context of a team effort. Uh, that's, that's really what we have going here. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, this I say, he who so sparingly will reap also sparingly, <clears throat> he who so as bountifully will reap also bountifully. I think he's talking about in eternity. He's, he's not talking, people say, well, you know, you send in your money to our, our ministry and God's going to bless you a hundredfold. You know, that's not really the emphasis that we find from the Apostle Paul. But here's the principle uh, we live in the age of grace, and we have grace giving. So let each one of you, as he purposes in his heart, uh, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you can decide, you know, hey, I want to sow sparingly. Okay, it's not of necessity. Uh, You'll reap sparingly. You know, you're going to sow according to your reap. Uh, And if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. But again, it says each one purposes in his heart. John Bunyan, this uh, quote, There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, uh, how much uh, should we give? Do you know how much we should give? <laughs> That's what we just read, isn't it? Uh, and how much should that be? <laughs> you know, grace giving outstrips legalistic giving. I'm convinced uh, all my life in my ministry, I have, I have never told people you have to give this much or that, or that much. You decide before God what you want to give, how much of it belongs to the Lord. We're a steward of all of it, right? On Judgment Day, God's going to say, well, I gave you this to work with. Uh, what did you do with it? Uh, it's wise to have some savings. It's wise you should pay your bills. You know, uh, All of these things. Uh, we, we do need some money. You know, um, <laughs> We were going somewhere yesterday, and Karsten was with us. And, and Janie says, what are you thinking about? He said, I'm thinking about money. <laughs> huh? His dad's a banker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so we had a little talk and I said well, well Carson we do need some money but you don't want to live for it you want to live for God you don't want it to be like the sole focus of your life here you know you want your focus to be Jesus Christ and yes we do need some you know, there's, a, there's a balanced perspective here but uh, yeah uh, how much you know we work out our salvation with fear and trembling we also have that book in or that verse in Philippians and uh, there, this is good, where Paul says this in First Timothy chapter 6. Command those that are rich in this present age. He's talking to Christians. So some are going to be rich, well off, right? Uh, poor Christians, we have, wealthy, we, have, we have all kinds of, we have every stripe. But he says to those who are rich, uh, rich Christians, if you will, don't be haughty. Don't, don't think, hey, I'm really something because I got some money. Don't be haughty. No trust in it, nor true trust in uncertain riches. It's always uncertain, by the way. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So again, eternal perspective. He's thinking about, uh, what have you really stored up in heaven? That's really, you're, you're storing up uh, a foundation. Uh, for the time to come. And, and so, so that's what he's saying. Don't hang on to everything. Be be ready to give, willing to share, storing up a good, uh, a good foundation for the time to come. God is a good bookkeeper. He will settle all accounts. And he pays big dividends. No wonder Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of like it's not so much percentages all the time. It's kind of where's your heart at? It's like, what's your motivation? And uh, I always say, you know, when when you give uh, to a ministry, local church or any other ministry, it should be like you're giving it to Jesus. Like you're putting it right in the hand of Jesus as a matter of worship. And uh, I think that that pleases God. Because you are, if you're giving with the right heart, that's for sure. Right. All right. Uh, Very good. Uh, Any other thoughts here before we go to uh, verse 18? Okay, let's have somebody read verse 18 for us. Uh, We'll finish out with verse 18. Somebody want to read that? Yeah, LaVita. Okay, so he's, he's making the point very clear here. He does appreciate their gift, but he's not fishing for more. Uh, in fact, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. He dispels any notion that, that he is seeking to get more out of them. Uh, currently, he has plenty. And he says, I am full having received from Epaphroditus. By the way, there's a name. You know, new babies coming along in the church. They're looking for names. Here's a possibility. Seriously, it is not a name that is uh, you know, often used. You won't have to worry about other people stealing th- that name. Epaphroditus. I'm not sure what we would call him for short. But anyway, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus was a special guy in Paul's life. He ministered to Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. And he referenced him earlier in chapter 2. Remember what he said about him in chapter 2, verse 30? Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This guy is working himself almost to death for the cause of Christ as he is ministering to the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy was all in for sure. So, but he had received... Epaphroditus was the kind of the main courier back and forth between uh, Paul and the church at Philippi. And he says, uh, "...I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you." So he had received, and, and, and he, was, he was doing well... And then he describes this, this, uh, this gift from them as a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Wow. Uh, now, previously, we had seen the language of uh, partnership and stewardship, but now he transitions to the language of, of worship. Uh, you see, the language here of a sweet-smelling aroma His language goes back to the Old Testament offerings uh, that were brought to God. And uh, let's see, I've got a few slides here. Beginning with Noah, Genesis 8, we see offerings that please God as those that send up before God with a sense of a pleasing, fragrant aroma. In the Old Testament, there were three offerings that were of special delight to God. And that's the idea of a a sweet-smelling aroma. It was the grain offering, offerings of thanksgiving for God's provision and devotion uh, to God. Um, That was a a sweet uh, aroma. And then uh, peace offerings or fellowship offering, which denoted fellowship and friendship with God. It was a celebration of worship that emphasized gratitude for God's blessing. And then the burnt offering denoted total surrender and consecration to God, as well as a substitutionary atonement for the offender or for the offerer, rather. So uh, we have these uh, three in particular. Um, but note, all of these three offerings were free will offerings. These offerings were not something demanded by God, but were from the overflow of a grateful heart uh, full of worship. These types of offerings were a sweet aroma to God. They were a delight to Him. They, in effect, were a blessing to the heart of God. There were also two other main offerings, namely a sin offering and a trespass offering. These were both required offerings for sin and were non-sweet aroma offerings. Uh, The giving of the Philippians toward Paul is characterized as that which is a sweet-smelling aroma. That is, they brought delight to the heart of God. So imagine if you are one of the uh, people at Philippi reading this. Wouldn't that be a blessing to your heart? Uh, Your offering is like a a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, it was a, a worshipful... Oops. a worshipful offering. Uh, the Bible repeatedly speaks uh, in this worship language related to the ministry of the believer. For example, at 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As priests of God, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. This is the function of a priest. And all believers are said to be priests under the new covenant. We are all to be serving God with spiritual sacrifices. It may be the giving of physical means, as we see here in Philippians. It may also be praises and thanksgiving or a combination, as seen in Hebrews chapter 13. So uh, we are all spiritual priests. And uh, what is the nature of our offering that we are bringing to the Lord? Hopefully it's a, a one of a, a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, it's, a, it's a delightful thing as it's offered up to God. And then he further describes it as an acceptable sacrifice, found worthy. You know, going way back to the early part of Genesis, we have uh, two uh, brothers, right? They're both bringing an offering to the Lord, Uh, Cain and Abel. What kind of an offering did uh, Cain bring? Was not acceptable. How about Abel? Was acceptable. What was the difference between the two? That's right. Abel brought according to how God had prescribed. Cain is kind of doing his own independent thing and thinking, well, hey, this is good enough. This according to my, you know, how I make my living. should be good enough. But uh, so there, there was a difference between them right from the very beginning. Uh, you go into uh, Malachi back in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and God is rebuking the people for, for their offering that they are bringing to him. What kind of things were they bringing to the Lord in the book of Malachi? Well, they were bringing the blind animals, right? The lame animals, the sick animals. You know, those were maybe going to die anyway, right? And God says, go take this to your governor and see how this goes w- well, if, how, how that goes. And here you are insulting me, uh, the great God, uh, by bringing these kind of offerings. It always reminds me of that story that Paul Harvey told about somebody who called in and said, you know, we've had a turkey in the freezer for seven years. We want to know, is it edible? And uh, the response was, well, yeah, it might still be edible, but it's probably not going to taste very good. And they said, that's, yeah, that's what we thought, so we're going to give it to the church. <laughs> uh, well, is that really acceptable type giving? Uh, I think we really probably want to give the Lord our, our best. Uh, Proverbs, you know, the book of wisdom, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Uh, You know, the first fruits are not really the leftovers. Uh, Give God the first fruits, uh, the best. Uh, That's the idea. Acceptable sacrifice. It's a sweet smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice is it costs you something, right? And so that's the idea here. It was an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God. Uh, this is the goal. Uh, when we stand before God, we all want to hear, well done, right? It's always interesting when people die and people say, well, I know they're hearing well done. Well, how do you know? I mean, uh, Paul says he doesn't even make that declaration about himself. You know, God's the judge here. But we do want to hear uh, well done. And that is the goal. Paul says this was his goal in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we make it our aim. This is our goal, whether present or absent. You know whether we're living or whether we've gone on in uh, in death uh, to be with the Lord, uh, to be well pleasing to Him. That's the goal—to be well pleasing to Him. Ultimately, our ministry is as unto the Lord. Uh, that's what we want. That's what we uh, should be uh, thinking in terms of our giving. Uh, let's see here. Giving is a matter of fellowship. A partnership in the gospel. We see this in verse 14. We saw that tonight. It's a matter of stewardship that has eternal ramifications, verse 15. And it's a matter of worship, as we see here in verse 18. So those three aspects related to giving. It's a matter of fellowship, stewardship, and worship. And Colossians says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Okay, Uh, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, Michael? Well, that's a great question, Michael. You know, it's kind of like how hard do we want to emphasize this, you know, as far as giving? Uh, you know, I always think, uh, you know, there are Christians uh, that are completely missing it as far as the body of Christ. I mean, they're kind of lone rangers out here. They're, they're not involved. Uh, they're kind of living for self in some way. I always think, man, on Judgment Day, you're going to really regret that you really didn't use what God gave you for, for his plan, which is building up the church. I mean, this is the church age. That's the whole thing that he's doing. So, um, but what, how strong do we have I think sometimes people do emphasize almost in a legalistic way, which is kind of contrary to grace. Not kind of. It is contrary to grace. And I even see Paul kind of here in, in his way, you know, when he talks about uh, you shared concerning giving and receiving. He said, you did well. You know, so there's, a, there's encouragement in this grace. And even in Second Corinthians, you know, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Boy, that doesn't sound... But yet he comes back, every person as he purposes in his own heart. So let him give, not of necessity, doesn't force it. So we are kind of walking a fine line as far as encouraging people. He's all excited about the fruit that's abounding to their account. And that's a grace encouragement. But um, yeah, again, I don't feel comfortable telling people you should be giving X or, or you should be doing this. Now, in general, yeah. You should be loving the body, you should be you know involved you should but as far as uh thinking about physically what we're giving, right time, but there's there, right. Sure. I think there is, there is a lot of application. And, and like I say, this kind of all flows from stand, uh, stand steadfast in the Lord. So I think there's kind of an exhortation on a lot of levels, like you're talking about, whether it's prayer, uh, whether it's giving in this case here, uh, whether it's building into people. Uh, yeah, certainly a lot of, lot of application. And I don't want to go soft on that, that's for sure. But I don't want to be legalistic either. So I, I'm walking a tightrope, yeah? Sure. Yeah. Right. It becomes the scale more Sure. Sure. Yeah. Bill? Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think especially these Gentile contexts. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're learning how to live as the family of God. Uh, what's our mission? What are we doing? What is Paul doing that we're supporting? And, and he's really emphasizing. You've been partners with me right from, from the very beginning as far as the gospel. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a great, great thought there, Bill. Uh, You know, I read a letter today, John MacArthur was talking about uh, what is the greatest need in the church today? And he said, my answer is always the same. The greatest need is discernment. And how how do you get discernment? Well, you get discernment from understanding the word deeply and properly. And I think it gets back to one of the emphasis that we are trying to make. It's like, Maybe we haven't been doing church right for a long time as far as discipling people, building into people individually, you know. And it's, I preach, I publicly teach, which is great. But, boy, that personal attention, one-on-one or small group, uh, where we really have mature people who are able to bring other people to maturity, uh, that was really the pattern that I see in the Scriptures, where Christ is going, make disciples, continuing to teach him all things that I have commanded you so, yeah, our work is cut out for us here, big time. It's a good thought, though. All right, anyone else? Okay, I wanted to close with this. You know, this, this is a true story. I shared it one Sunday morning with you. But when my dad was sick about a year ago, uh, I would always, uh, there was a little uh, gas station uh, restaurant on the edge of town there. And I would always stop there and get him some coffee. Dad always loved coffee, no matter what, just black coffee. And so I'd get him some coffee. I went in there one day, and this gal started hitting on me, uh, obviously half blind. <laughs> but she said, uh, she said to me, as I'm opening my wallet, she says, uh, you got some money. And uh, I don't know, she couldn't see my wallet. I don't know how she, she thought I had some money, but she busted. And she says, uh, you know, you can't take it with you. You could have some fun, she says. You can't take it with you. She kept, that week I happened to be going to teach out of Matthew chapter six, where Christ says, lay your treasures up in heaven. So I said, you know, uh, I said, do you know anything about the Bible? She said, no. All of a sudden she turned a different color. And I said, you know, it's true. I can't take it with me, but the Bible says I can send it on ahead. Jesus said, lay your treasures up in heaven. And she said, oh, you got me there. (laughs) That's so true, though. You know, we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. There is the bank of heaven. We are laying in our account that God has for us. Hopefully, you know, our account will be doing very well when we get there. But it kind of corresponds to how we're living here, and that's what Paul is emphasizing in our study here tonight. All right, very good. Uh, Good interaction. Let's share some prayer requests. Everybody have a prayer sheet? Anybody need a prayer sheet?